When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. He's annoyed he didn't make it, but I don't think Jack Walsh is good enough to make the England squad based on this film. Daniel more work. That's what we're going to do. All right. My name's Daniel. It's um, Halfolk, a.k.a. Double H, a.k.a. The Kid, trying to live, trying to stay alive. It's me. It's Carl Anker. Hello. <laughs> and uh, and uh, this week, we have a uh, friend of the pod, a man who needs no introduction, really. We got Paul from United Rankcast. How you doing, Paul? I'm really good. So excited to be here for the end of season party. If you enjoy listening to me talk about football, um, you, well, specifically Manchester United, uh, you can do so, so by listening to the Rankcast, which you just search your favourite podcast provider for Rankcast and uh, you'll find us. You can follow at Talking Tactics on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, follow us on SoundCloud. If you're on an Apple device, leave an iTunes review. If it's five stars, we'll read it on the show. We got two reviews this week. I'm sorry, Paul, you're going to have to sit through people saying kind things about us. Uh, um, uh, this one is from a guy called DMS10. World Cup 2018. I love the I love the podcast. I listen to it when I'm going to school. I have a question for Half Hope. I don't know what you think, but I believe Messi has improved his game since 2014 and has shown this season he has the mentality to carry a team, basically winning the league for Barca. Do you think he has improved and can go all the way in Russia? I want my dear friend who sent in the question, thank you for sending the question, to look at Argentina's defenders. They look at it a second time. Then for good luck, look at it a third time and tell me how that defense is going to survive a Brazil attack, a French attack, a Spanish attack, and a Belgian attack. I mean, what Messi is doing right now is crazy. And the last two years has have arguably been Messi's best two years of his career. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for the five-star review, DMS, from Harry Boltzler. He says, thought I should review again. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't looking forward to coup de tete. I thought I'd miss the trio riffing on each other and talking about what's happened in the last week. And I'm just too young to really remember how good he was. I had just turned 13 in the 2006 World Cup final. I was wrong. It was amazing. A good blend of storytelling, Carl's narration plus Daniel's translation, analysis from Hope, Paul, and others whose names I can't fully remember slash will not spell right, and commentary. I had goosebumps several times and loved the whole thing. Don't get rid of the usual show. But this is the perfect thing for an international break or similar. So shout out some some love for our talking tactics special. How do you think it came out, Paul? Oh, uh, Danny, I think it was a masterpiece. Um, it it was one of those things that I mean, I could not have been more proud. Uh, to, it's one of those things where you listen to it and go, I can't believe they invited me to be involved in such a, a superb thing. I, I I was really genuinely honoured to be in the company that I was in um, talking about that. And, and the thing you put together was, 
I've listened to it all the way through twice, actually, because I, I listened to it when you sent me a little preview of it. And then after uh, after it came out, I listened to it again all the way through. And I was riveted both times. You know, the first when you know, when your friends make something and you're like, oh, OK, my friends made something and it's an hour. I'm going to have to, like, put myself through an hour of this thing my friend <laughs> made. But then it was absolutely brilliant from start to finish. So I was I just I thought it was marvelous. I'm having flashbacks, like when I listen to your voice of like all the time spent like editing and chopping things up. <laughs> do you do you find like you, you end up feeling like you really know someone well when you've edited something that they did? Like you you feel like a, a, a deeper bond with them in a way. Like yeah, your voice is somewhat comforting in a weird way. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. If if you guys haven't listened to Coup de Tet, it's on our SoundCloud page. It's in your iTunes feed. So go listen to that if you haven't. It's it's good, if I can say that. So, da, 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 da. breaking news. Unai Emery is now Arsenal manager. What do we think about this? I'm going to regurgitate the thoughts of Kev Byrne, who was also appeared on this podcast, in that how it feels a bit like an anticlimax. I can see the logic. Obviously, the leading candidate was Mikel Arteta, and they were going to basically have the director of football model and have Arteta in charge. But Arteta isn't quite ready yet. So... I guess they're going to bring in Emery to be the fixer and then have Arteta as the long-term plan. But I think it's a bit underwhelming that Emery isn't good enough as a fixer for me. If you're going to get a guy to be in short term for two or three seasons and fix everything, you want to get Allegri? You want to get someone who's known to be winning trophies and winning away games and being able to win those die-hard crunch matches, whereas Emery just seems like more of the same of late-stage Wenger? What do you think? 6-1, basically. (laughs) First of all, I, I didn't see this coming at all. It's a, it's a bad hiring. It's bad. You, I mean, on the plus side, okay, he's got more ideas than Wenger, and maybe he'll be able to make Arsenal a bit less predictable. But from the point that um, Carl was saying is that um, the team has a lot of issues, and what you need is to bring in a guy that can add some stability into the team and just increase the professionalism of the players across a season. I don't think, you know, this guy with the state that Arsenal are in and the players that they have is really the right man. Because I I just don't see them really at the best fourth. At best, they come fourth. I don't think Arsenal should be aiming for anything other than fourth, right? Let's be really brutal about this. Next season, the United clubs are going to be a law unto themselves if Mourinho doesn't implode, which it's looking likely he will. So City are going to run away with stuff. Liverpool are going to be chasing them because they're going to be strengthened by Cater and hopefully a bit more squad depth. And then Chelsea possibly are going to sort it out. I don't think six into four cannot go. And I don't think Arsenal, regardless of who they bring in, are ever going to be anywhere near getting anything higher than fourth. So I think that's fine. It's such a fascinating appointment. And... And watching what's going to happen to Arsenal is absolutely fascinating because they've probably in their last window sold the best player they've had in their side for the last four years and maybe bought, brought in the best player they've... I don't know. I don't know where Aubameyang ranks in, in that in that standings. But their, their squad is so unbalanced. And yet, there's clearly way more potential in that squad than Wenger's been tapping into. But one of the things that's really interesting about the Emery appointment is is the level at which it pitches Arsenal. Because on the one hand, Emery is a name that everyone that's listening to this podcast knows who Unai Emery is. So obviously, like not every single football fan on the street would know, but everyone who's got more than a passing interest knows who he is. But he made his name on punching above 
his weight in European competition with a, an upper mid-tier Spanish club. His name is made on those that three-peat of Europa League titles, right? I mean, the only league title he's ever won is League A this season. And the fact that he won that is much less of a positive than the fact that he didn't win it last season is a negative, given the standard of competition. He's a distinctly mid-tier appointment for what is increasingly a mid-tier club. But Arsenal and Arsenal fans, and even some of the players in that squad, won't accept being mid-tier. So what Arsenal need versus what it's possible that they could get is completely different. Because essentially, I think to make them really successful, they need Guardiola or Klopp or, you know, someone who's not attainable right now. And I, I think in a way, they'd have been better going with Arteta because you're better off trying to build something long-term that could be really good in the future. Than, than, well, I, I mean, Arteta just like, for example, you know, the long-term plan you want, you yeah, want, exactly. you want to do someone to do what Klopp is doing, which is basically do a total root and branch reform of the club for about seven years. Who could end up being great. Now I'm not saying he would, I'm saying he could. And it seems very unlikely that Unai Emery is going to grow into an Arsenal great in terms of management. And, and actually like, Going for a manager who feels like, in a way, like a weirdly safe appointment is a really big mistake because, like Carl said, six into four just doesn't go. For Arsenal to finish fourth next season is going to be a massive achievement because it's going to require either an improving Liverpool side to falter, Manchester United, who well who could well falter in my opinion, but they're going to invest heavily this summer. Obviously, City won't. Um, and then, so you're then talking about Spurs and Chelsea both of whom there's every chance will be better next season than they are this. So it's a really big challenge for Arsenal. And I'm not sure this is the answer. It's going to be interesting. It looks like Mislintzak is going to be the person who holds a lot more power at Arsenal. And I think I've said this before, once Wenger goes, that's going to be the end of it. You're not going to see any more managers. Um, I think the closest we have to a manager manager in the Premier League now, I think the two closest models are Mourinho and Pochettino. Even then, Pochettino is getting itchy feet at Tottenham Hotspur. His comments after the final game of the season were pretty much angled comments to Levy going to spend some money. Yeah, he's um, definitely he's definitely not running transfers at Spurs, is he? No, he's not. Mm. But and I think he's beginning to get very annoyed at this. Um, and then you've got Mourinho, and Mourinho is the manager, not because he earned it or whatever, 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 but simply because Ed Woodward's not a football man and there is no one above Mourinho to basically pull him in. Um, Mourinho is a manager not because he's of the ilk of Ferguson and Wenger, but simply because there's no one, there's not a bigger bully at the football club. It shows, again, just how effective Wenger and, and Ferguson were because Arsenal have clearly gone, we're not going to be able to get another Wenger or, or, or a manager of that ilk and we're not even going to try. Now the power is going to be Sven, whoever the manager is and whoever's going to be running our academies. Can I just um, insert at this point, just got to advocate my strong political position here that, that I'm trying to like make sure that we don't rewrite history and never talk about Wenger in the same breath as Alex Ferguson. Because <laughs> Wenger was like a good manager for 10 years and then a really dreadful one for 10 years and Alex Ferguson's the best that's ever there's ever been. This is true. Wenger's a nicer person, so I like putting them <laughs> together. You know, uh, Ferguson kind of sold out his club over a horse. <laughs> it's true it is true but still <laughs> yeah i know i know uh so emery's the leading bit of news uh this week which is quite fun it's too often we record on a monday evening and there's no news but from one arsenal story to another arsenal story santi cazola has just announced that he'll be leaving the club after 
I think six years. Six How years. How many games did he play in those six years? Not nearly enough. A hundred. Something like six years and one hundred and eighty appearances. Um, he's he's like Spanish Diaby. It, it's worse oh wow! It's, <laughs> that that is some serious slander right there. <laughs> I mean, he's always hurt. What can I say? Yeah, six six years and one hundred and eighty games, and it's a real shame. This, this is the man who, if he does keep playing football, I'll be impressed because when you're taking skin transplants from your arm and removing part of your tattooed arm to put skin on your ankle, maybe it's not worth it anymore. Um, gentlemen, how do you feel about Santi Cazorla leaving Arsenal? And what do you think about Santi Cazorla in the Premier League? It's a sad story, man. But like, if you're Arsenal, you can't really blame them, man. A guy is injured for so long, has not played for so long. I mean, you, you have to pull the plug and he can't allow sentiments. But like, oh, boy, it's Cazorla. But when Cazorla was at his best, he was definitely one of the most talented midfielders in the Premier League. And I think that if Cazola had still been with Arsenal, maybe they, they win a few more, more trophies or, or do a bit better in the league because he was that good. I really think if Cazola was fit, Arsenal win the Premier League that Leicester won. No. Mm-hmm. no. It's possible. I think... I think that, that is definitely possible. I think after the... I think a lot of something goes missing in that Leicester season is, well, Leicester were amazing and maybe it's just your time. I think now we're getting further and further removed of it. It seems more and more like, oh yeah, Spurs really should have won that. And I think another one that needs to get mentioned is that Cazola was missed half the season. And I really think after Welbeck gets the winner against Leicester and Arsenal go top of the table, I think if Cazola was fit, they would have done it. Two things I think about Santi Cazola. One is uh, every time I think of him, I think of a friend of mine called Alwyn Payne, who used to write a lot of really funny jokes on Twitter and now and he occasionally does it at Alwyn Payne, wrote a tweet that says Santi Cazorla looks like a Welshman. And <laughs> I've never heard anything that I heard and went, oh my, you know, it's just like... He really the does! Exactly. <laughs> like the extent to which you expect him to rock up and go, hello, I'm Santi Cazorla, how are you doing? <laughs> he doesn't, of course. But yeah, Santi Cazorla looks like a Welshman, but also it is one of modern football's Definitely one of the saddest stories in, in recent years because what a magnificent player and, and awful that, that injury's done for him. And yeah, he he made such a difference to Arsenal and he was a properly elite player in a bang average team. All right, so World Cup squads. Um, France didn't take Martial. Argentina haven't taken Accardi. Spain haven't taken Morata. And for some strange reason, although it's not quite strange, Belgium have decided not to take Nangolin. Which omission do you feel like is more egregious, I guess? Nine Golans for, for sure. Because the Martial one, I was watching ESPN FC and their French correspondent Julian was saying that um apparently, like, you know, when Martial was on international duty, he just didn't have a very good at- attitude. And if that's the, the case, fair enough. Yes, I think Martial is good and he should be in there. But if your attitude isn't good and it isn't conducive with a dressing room atmosphere, fair enough. And Deschamps hasn't come out and said anything. So Deshaun was like, you guys know why I happened to pick him. I don't need to come out and say it in public. The, the other ones, fair enough, it makes sense. You know, I would still argue that Nani should just be there for sentiment's sake for Portugal. But, I, 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 <laughs> but my thing is that the Nangolan thing doesn't make sense because you've come out and you said in public it's for tactical reasons. If it's for tactical reasons, you should be sacked and shipped to Siberia. Because of the world, the world Can I so, ask a question? Yeah. Do, you have a, do you have a list somewhere of players who need to be sent to Siberia? <laughs> no, 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 no. Siberia is where the Brick Academy is lo- located. So that's oh, where- I see. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, yeah. So, so basically, what's it called? Um, so for Martinez, it's like, we know that it's personal. So don't say it's for tactical reasons. Just either say what, what it's for 
all do what they did. They show them, they don't really say anything. And then we now know, okay, it is what it is. So, so by saying it's a tactical reasons, it just shows that you're not trying to be really tricky and, and really smart, but you're not that smart because we all know that Nine Golan is the third best player in our Belgium team based on form and ability. Pardon me? Yeah, he's... Okay, he's, keep going, keep going. It's your opinion. Yeah, so, so he's the third best player in that, in that team based on ability and, and form for, for this season. And the very fact that, Martinez, you're a very offensive attacking coach and you're all about attack, attack, attack. Nine Golan is critical. Alex Witzel plays in China, where the standard is very low. Krasko plays in China, where the standard is very low. So to go from playing with Chinese league opposition to the international level, that's a, that's a huge swing. Nine Golan has been playing Champions League level football and Syria, which is of greater um, quality than what you get in the Chinese Super League. So by losing an anchor midfielder who is very helpful and useful for your very ultra-offensive mindset that we know Martinez is, shows that you're going to... England are winning the group. That's where that, that's where this all ends. England are going to win win this group, and Belgium are going to come behind them. That, that's my, my, my hot take. And this nine goal thing is proof that England will win the group. You can pretty much mirror Deschamps not taking Martial with Roberto Martinez not taking Nangolan. Uh, it's very clear that Nangolan and... Roberto Martinez don't get on. Reports were saying that last night, Roberto Martinez flew to Rome to inform Nangalan about the fact he wouldn't make the squad. So whatever is going on between them, it's face-to-face, we're going to have a conversation rather than the uh, Conte, I'm going to send you a text message version. Um, I'm never going to be convinced by Belgium on an international level because they have this like generational glut of talent they have. This is not like a great school in Belgium that cranking out stuff. It is not like a great amount of a change in coaching style, or whatever. It just happens to be a freak accident that all these kids are roughly the same age. And, you know, in a nation of 11 million, you've got to catch this now. Otherwise, you're not going to get this again for a while. And, you know, the last manager was Mark Wilmots, who didn't know what a fullback was. And a new manager now is Roberto Martinez, who whose greatest achievement was winning the FA Cup and getting relegated in the same season. So... <laughs> I, don't, I think I think at an international level, because international football, I'm sorry, Hope, international football is obviously nowhere near the pinnacle of football now, and short-termism is is kind of king. And actually, I think a manager who loves everyone, gets them playing some nice football, gets them all to believe in themselves, not a bad shout. I think Martinez, especially with a with a player like Henri helping coach the forwards, you know, there's there's something to be said for that approach, I think, com- especially compared to Vilmots, who was just misery incarnate, talking of which, like, I am absolutely not having the Martial bad attitude stories. Like, people do not understand his personality. That does not mean he's got a bad attitude. Now, I don't know him. Maybe he actually does have a bad attitude. But I think it is so easy for a middle-aged, middle-class French dude to uh, misread what Martial's like, especially in an environment where he's not necessarily comfortable, where he's clearly an introvert. He's clearly going to go in on himself. And also, like, he's been treated absolutely disgracefully by his absolute brick of a club manager. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, in the, he's, he's been inducted to the academy. Yeah! Yes! <laughs> How about you guys just stop disrespecting my club's greatest ever manager? <laughs> he said, was. He was. He was. He's also a brick right now. I said on, um, on I did a fan cam with Full Time Devils after the FA Cup final, and I, I said, like, isn't it ironic that Chelsea's greatest ever manager is like one of our very deeply mediocre average managers? Robert Pires is one of the greatest ever Arsenal players. He's also a brick for Aston Villa. <laughs> Life, man. Life. 
Torres is a Liverpool hero. A Liverpool and Atletico Madrid hero. He's a Chelsea brick. Very expensive brick. Um, so Mauro Icardi, any surprise there? It's Maxi Lopez. That's that's who is to take. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. is, is, is it Maxi Lopez or well, I'm not no. Okay. I can never remember which way round it goes, but it's please, a bad please, story. Please tell the story. It's very bad. I'm going to have to say a lot of allegedly's, but please tell the story. No, oh. no, Carl, this is public record. Like, there's very little allegedly about this. Oh, really? Tell yeah, the, the story. The man has... Um, I, so, whichever way around it is, either um, Max's wife, has, uh, wife left him for Mauro Icardi or the other way around. I think it's, it's that way around. Icardi has their children's names tattooed on him that like listen it's the 21st century and family is weird right i get that but it happens it happens oh no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> is that is that a reason to not be included into the team that's ridiculous because he did that which happens what's it called and um, future and sierra and that's nfl dude it happens. Well, John Terry gets dropped from the england squad because of what he did to wayne brick and no, what john terry did was was a lot worse she left him for another dude. <laughs> John Terry was sleeping with a guy and was and went, went, went behind their back. Now I that one is allegedly. By the way. That's an allegedly. That's, you know, for legal reasons, that's an allegedly. That one's a big allegedly. You no, know, I find that completely and utterly unprofessional and ridiculous. If Because that has to be the reason because Ikadi statistically is one of Argentina's best strikers. Probably their best out-and-out striker statistically. From a pure footballing point of view, is there any chance this is about style of play and style of forward that the manager wants? Higain is a brick, and Higain flopped in 2014 final. Higain flopped in 2016 for final. Aguero has been crap for Argentina. Icardi has never really been given the opportunity to play for Argentina. And if you think about Messi play, being the playmaker and the creator, a dude who literally feeds off scraps at Inter Milan, getting all those goals, it makes sense that Icardi is the pointsman that Messi can, can create for. That makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. Icardi, you definitely take Icardi even as your plan B. It makes no sense to not take Icardi. Sampaoli's reasoning for not having Diablo in the squad previously was it takes too long to integrate him into the side and the way he wants it to play. And Diablo hasn't had a great season. It's been okay, not great. But to take him, even though he's not been in the squad previously, and to drop Icardi, even though Icardi has been in the squad previously, is odd. Um, I think Icardi is on Harry Kane levels of how good he is as a number nine in Europe. So not as good as Suarez and Lewandowski, but the next best thing. It, yeah, Icardi, Icardi can be hard done by. The way in which I think he's really hard done by is just the straight up, not so much Paolo Dybala playing instead because Dybala could could really grow into a really important player for Argentina. So kind of makes sense to have him in the World squad, Cup squad. But yeah, that Higuain... Icardi direct comparison that that's got to be a cold cold blow if if Higuain's getting in the squad ahead of you. I think the thing is Higuain is not a bad striker. Higuain, it, we've talked ah. about we've talked about this before ah. in regards. Ah. <laughs> we've talked about this before in regards to in regards to Cavani in regards to uh you know Salah before the start before he went on this incredible run this season. Is that Higuain gets into an incredible amount of goal scoring opportunities and puts away an okay amount of them, which is fine in a league. Like, in a league, he's going to get 25, 20 goals because there's just enough games. But the problem is, in an international tournament, because the sample size is shrunk down to, what, five, six, seven games? That means his okay amount of putting away amazing opportunities doesn't balance out. You either need someone to run hot for one tournament for seven games and be amazing, or someone who's just very, very clinical, like Miroslav Klose. And Higuain's neither. 
Higuain is a good striker. Higuain is a bad striker for an international tournament. And I think it's very important to make that distinction. And he's not bad because he chokes or he's a brick or whatever. It's just that the way he plays football, he's a volumetric striker. I think I think that's also similar about Harry Kane. I think Harry Kane will go down as perhaps a bad international tournament striker because he's a volumetric shooter. I think we're going to see two or three tournaments where Kane will only come, have maybe two goals because he's just taking every single shot. So 2017-18 season, according to Understat, uh, Icardi's XG, 0.69, XG per 90, 0.69, to Higuain's 0.45. Never mind about goals per 90, where Icardi's obviously like crushing Higuain, but even XG-wise, especially given that Higuain's playing for Juve, that, that shift in, in XG is pretty damning, I think, to that particular decision. And I'm not saying that Higuain's a brick, because he's not, but because uh, 0.5 XG per game, per 90, is like very reasonable. But yeah, Icardi's crushing him this season. Speaking of strikers who have been left out, I guess this is time to talk about Morata in Spain. Understandable? Understandable, but I would still take it. I think this is this is that rare case where it makes sense, but I would say that, you know what, Morata, Chelsea just wasn't a good fit. You bring him with the Spanish squad, Spanish people, acclimatization, the system and everything, you would actually see Morata play a lot better. I just think it's a case of where don't judge him based on what he's done for Chelsea. So this is the one case where it makes sense, but he should still have been taken because I'm not sold on Costa working for this system. And I don't know about Vasquez and whether they can be able to do what Morata does. So The thing about Costa is he is working in this system now. When he first came in, he really unsettled Spain. But now I think he makes them better. And and I, I think I'd have him ahead of Morata very easily. It is, it's whether Morata should be there ahead of their backup options. That's that's the big question. I wonder if I wonder if that is just fundamentally stylistic, because Murata, you know, what we've seen this season is he's really good at getting on the end of crosses, and like that, that is obviously not going to be a thing that happens in the Spain squad. Yeah, you know, I find it interesting that kind of Spain's maybe transitioned a little bit from Barca to Real Madrid. If you look at you know Carvajal, Asensio, Isco, Vasquez, those guys, you would think Murata would fit into that team. If you look deeper at the Spanish squad. The names who have been dropped are all underperforming, somewhat underperforming Premier League stars. So Morata doesn't make it. Fabregas doesn't make it. Fabregas is, I think Fabregas is done as a football player now, yeah. as a top football player. I don't oh, wait, 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 but very quickly, just something about Fabregas. Basically, you know, they were basically interviewing guys at the end of the FA Cup final. And then they're talking about Fabregas. Okay, so what are your plans for next season and Chelsea next season? Fabregas, no, no, no. I, don't, I mean, I've got a World Cup this summer. So after the, the, the World Cup, then I'll be able to... <laughs> Nice. Um, the point I was going to make is, you know, Fabregas isn't making because he's too old. Alonso doesn't make it because he is very much a benefactor of the system rather than a great player outright. Alonso and, and Victor Moses being revived by this Chelsea side has, has more to do about what a good manager and a formation can do with a player rather than how a player can improve. Um, so Alonso doesn't make it because I don't think he works in a, in the Spanish system. Hector Bellerin doesn't make it because Hector Bellerin's season has been pretty poor. I had, a, I had a really interesting dinner with a friend recently. You said Bellerin's going to end up on a career trajectory similar to Gareth Bale. Someone's going to look at him and go, oh, wait, I should just put you forward and get you hench. And he's going to be amazing, um, which I think will be quite fun. But yeah, Bellerin didn't make it either. So I think you've got four players, four Spanish players in the Premier League who have had so-so seasons at best. We haven't made the squad. I think that says, one, the amount of depth Spain has. And two, 
a lot of the purchases of Spanish talent in the Premier League is not the best Spanish talent. But I don't think it's even necessarily about B-grade player. It's about the kind of Spanish player that would suit the Premier League well. Like what Alonso's doing is super Premier League-y, isn't it? You know, he's getting up and down and banging in crosses that Morata's heading in. Like that's that's couldn't couldn't be less Spanish and more Premier League-y. Although obviously I'm I, they're not the elite. Of course, the great exception to this rule is David De Gea. And the one thing talking about the Spain squad makes me think is just looking at that squad, there's not going to be a better squad in the World Cup. Like maybe Brazil can talk to them, but as is it okay? in terms of balance. Are we all right to say Spain are a dark horse for this World Cup? No, because they're they're too I mean yeah, they're, they're obvious that they're good. enough. One of their favourites. Yeah, I, I yeah. think if you look at the betting, which I'm not a betting man, but I'm sure if you look in look at the betting odds, they'll be in the top three favourites, which makes them ineligible for dark horse status. <laughs> is it, is it ironic that the two United fans haven't brought up that Herrera missed? Or no, and no, who was thinking that Ander Herrera would be in the Spain squad after the season he's had? He's he, he's coming to his own a bit in the last month, but he's he's been. Bang average all season. I'm so. just saying, I, I heard three Chelsea players and an Arsenal one, but, you know. There's only one Spanish player in the United squad who I will shed tears for their international career being ruined by their brick of a manager. And uh, it's Ander's mate, not Ander. Like, obviously, Juan Mata, it's completely understandable that he's not in the Spain squad, but what what a shame it is that he's having to sh- do shuttle runs on the right flank for Man United instead of being a creative number 10 at some slow pace. Like, he's should be the new Roman Raquel May, not the new Antonio Valencia, you know. Oh, that's so true. So, so, so are, um, are we doing World Cup squads that we can go No, to I want to talk about England's one very quickly. Oh, God. Yeah! Let's talk about the England squad. England! <laughs> <laughs> I really... Can we talk about how beautiful the England squad announcement video was? Oh, I, I loved it. That was dope. I, that was dope. I, I enjoyed it. Genuinely shed an actual legitimate tear at the effort they went to to be inclusive, excited, positive. I don't know. Obviously, you see loads of like stupid comments about it, but you know that's inevitable. But it, to me, it was just honestly, it was a kind of a thing of beauty, and it makes me hope that the England team, because because that England squad is like fine to good apart from when you think about what what is that midfield gonna do like that midfield oh, that midfield frightens me it's real 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 that is a midfield that is collectively delighted that roberto martinez doesn't like rajan angalan yeah that's a workhorse midfield um i think of the players who didn't make it i think ryan bertrand is perhaps the most understandably aggrieved. I know Jack Wilshere decided to make two tweets about how he's annoyed he didn't make it, but I don't think Jack Wilshere's good enough to make the England squad based on this form. No, Jack Wilshere hasn't had a great season. He's had Look. he's had four good games all season, Hope. Like, I, 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 actually, I actually think he is... How many good games has Alana had, though, Paul? Uh, he's not in the squad, right? Lalana's not no, in the squad. He's a, he's a he's a backup. And also, yeah. that critically overlooks how important Lalana was to England. See, I would take an injured Wilshire over a fully fit Henderson or Milner. Well, but, then that's why you're not international manager. Yeah, like <laughs> no, the problem with that is, I mean, listen, you're not going to get many defensive uh, defenses of Leeds United, Man City, and Liverpool's James Milner off me. But yeah. like, he can actually run, which is quite important. I mean, Jack Wilshire's level of talent versus what he's going to do in his career is such a huge mismatch, and it is a common. It's the Rooney thing. Only 
really accelerated. You know, I, I rate Jack Wilshire, but he shouldn't. And, and you know, I did a thing on our podcast where we picked the England squad and what we'd have. And I, I had Jack Wilshire in mind, but I can't be going, how could he not pick him? Because, like I said, four good games this season, if that. How many good games has Danny Wilbeck? The Jack Wilshire experiment. Well, the Jack Wilshire experiment ends ended when he went to Bournemouth on loan. So he goes to Bournemouth on loan. He's fit up, up until the final, you know, the game against Spurs where he does his leg, and he's mediocre. Six out of ten. That was his first. That was his first proper. I am an adult. I can prove. I can play week in, week out in the Premier League. I'm going to be playing the position I want, and he didn't do anything. Uh, the, the Danny Welbeck point is also, I think, much more a point about why Danny Welbeck shouldn't be in the squad than a point about why Wilshire should. Because, I mean, Welbeck is in there for England performances because he has consistently peak moments for England, like a lot of Welbeck's best career moments. The Welbs is that guy started with a goal against the goal for England. Yeah. You know, Zup Zup Say Nada, that was a goal for England. In, in that squad, going to the World Cup, Welbeck has the second highest amount of goals for England. Danny Welbeck, Danny Welbeck's injury massively derailed Roy Hodgson's plans for Euro 2016 because Welbeck's hard work on the left of the 4-3-3 was very important to making that system work. Welbeck is brick adjacent and, brick, and will be <laughs> under brick review for yeah. a long time. Yeah but, yeah, yeah, but I think we always need to talk about England Danny Welbeck is very He's different useful. from Cobb Danny. Yeah. I think this could be the World Cup where that distinction goes away, though where the, the brickness takes over. Like he's um he's like Ben Grimm turning into the thing slowly, like he's slowly <laughs> being encased in rock. And and this might be where the brick gets him all told. And this is a know. superb visualization of what happens <laughs> to a player when they become a brick. Just oh. yeah. yeah. But the one thing that I would say about that England squad is it looks like Gareth Southgate cares a little bit about actual footballers. I would much rather Ruben Loftus Cheek was in the side rather than Welbeck, uh, rather than um, Wilshire. No, it's 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 real good. Yeah, he's. He, I really I really like Gareth Southgate, the human being. I think hopefully now he enough time has passed that we don't remember him just for the Euro '96 penalty. <laughs> he's he's a company man. He's a safe pair of fans, and he's very much going to put forward what the FA wants him to put forward. But, but, but one, I'm beginning to buy into it as well. This whole this England is, DNA thing and the fact that players have to be of the correct moral code and have to be up, have to be aware of their their duties to be upstanding citizens because they are they are they are role models whether they like it or not. I'm beginning to buy into that too. And the way he talks about players, especially players who are injured, uh, how he addressed Gary Cahill losing his form, about how he very publicly went. Cahill isn't in this squad right now because Cahill isn't playing good football. If he change, if he like kicks on a bit and changes my mind, he'll be back in. And then it happened. And Southgate went, I'm very pleased with what happened. I quite enjoyed, I really enjoy when a manager is very open and clear about what they want. And also when you can see what their plan is and how their plan is making sense and developing over time. This is one reason why I really enjoyed Rohoshin in charge of England. And one reason why I like adore what Jurgen Klopp does in football, because I can understand what he's trying to do. The comparison between Hodgson and Southgate is really interesting. And you you said he's a company man and a safe pair of hands about Southgate. And I'm not sure that's even true now. I think he's I think that's what everyone thought he would do, and he would just be sort of Hodgson Mark II. But actually he's fairly drastically address the England team. They're playing a different system, much younger, much fresher. Um, I, I was quite happy when Hodgson was appointed as the England manager, but really disappointed by the way he approached both the first tournament when he basically just was Capello Mark II and he said he's going to let the players that got there have a tournament, basically, um, as opposed to stamping his mark on it. And obviously the appalling 
performance in Euro 2016 speaks for itself. But yeah, I think Southgate's a company man in the best sense of it. Like the FAA are a terrible organisation, terrible in all yes. sorts of ways. But he's kind of represents the kind of um, futurist arm of the FA. You know, the arm of the FA that's responsible for the fact that England have won loads of underage tournaments. I'm, by the way, even though I'm I'm from here and you know I speak with this accent and everything, I'm I'm not a big England fan by any stretch of the imagination. You know, if United winning the FA Cup is kind of not the now I'm not having the FA Cup over the World Cup for England to be fair, <laughs> but, but it's it's not a million miles away. Certainly, the Champions League wouldn't even be a debate. But yeah, you know, like I say, I'm I'm pretty happy with what he's doing, and it could be a disaster, but at least it's at least he's trying to do a thing. All right, uh, let's get rid of some of these questions. Sabian the Great asks, "Who's the biggest talent that got left out of the World Cup?" So if we had to give you one name, as in talents, just. Purely based on talent. Purely based on talent. I think we might have all have the same answer. You know, you know, it's it's Martial, definitely. Mario Götze is not going to Germany. Oh, on pure talent, yeah, <laughs> but he's got he's got that degenerative illness, hasn't he? Not degenerative, but that genetic illness which is causing him trouble. Um, no, I mean, I think uh, it's between Martial and Icardi, I guess. But obviously, I'm I'm going. I'm a company man. I'm going with Martial because Martial FC. All right, so someone asks us, how do we get rid of Jose? There must be a way. Oh. Please advise. No trophies for Manchester United this season, guys. Um, Chelsea won 1-0 in the FA Cup final, thanks to uh, Eden Hazard piece thanks of to magic. Thanks to Phil Jones' ineptitude. <laughs> hey, hey, no, no, you got to give Hazard credit. Oh, it was amazing, but also... Ha- Hazard's touch is more critical to that goal happening than Jones being an idiot. <laughs> Hazard was selling it and did amazing work to sell it. And then Jones bought it wholesale. <laughs> yeah, Jones and- was like, I am picking up what you are putting down. <laughs> <laughs> you you were at the game, Paul. So what did it look like? <laughs> not, not to depress you. It looked it looked real bad, darling. It looked real bad. The thing is, the thing is, United were not that terrible in that game compared to how terrible they've been sometimes against stubborn defences. Their XG is between 1.2 and 1.7. Chelsea's is around 1.5. But if you take away the penalty, it's way, way, way down there. So really, Chelsea's game was entirely dependent on that penalty. I thought Chelsea defended very well, actually. But United, United, amazingly, shockingly, United had no discernible attacking pattern. I can't I, uh, stop me. They if, never do. If any, if any of your jaws have just hit the, the floor, I apologise for this shocking new development. But, you know, within five minutes of that game, I was looking and I said to the person I was with, the only way United are scoring today is with a wonder goal. Like, it, it was a moment of individual magic was what it was going to take. Pogba and... had a free header, guys. Ah, they do not have crap United were in that first half. Second half, they improved mm. what garbage in that first half. Yeah, I agree. I highly agree. Chance wasn't as easily presentable as it, as everyone is saying, but that's also very much coloured by the fact that I I adore Paul Pogba. So. <laughs> Yeah, there is, there's like three or four players in the United side who I struggle to criticise, even when they completely deserve it. It's Pogba, it's Lukaku, it's Martial. Um, th- those are the ones, really. I can I can just about bring Paul myself. Mandem. Paul is Mandem. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, the, the question, the answer to the question is, we know Jose is going to Russia to work for Russia today because he's a really terrible person. We just need to somehow convince him that Manchester is not the way he thinks it is and he ends up in Siberia in the Brick Academy running classes on how to maximise brickness. And somehow we get him we get him out of the picture because I can't even bring myself to advocate for Mourinho to be sacked from United because it's so unlikely to happen that it feels like a total waste of energy. This has to implode. He has to destroy it himself because, because there is no person above him with the football experience, because there is no David Gill or no Karl Heinz Rummage at Bayern Munich or no like an ex United player with a position of power at Manchester United to tell him to stop and to go away. The only way this ends is if Mourinho self-destructs. And I really think it's going to happen next season. Rui Farah has gone, gone. And the moment Mourinho said, I'm not going to have an assistant manager, I went, well, this is it. He seems to have changed his mind and he said, oh, no. And it's someone that is currently at another club, so he's not speaking about it, which I think means it has to be Ita Karanka, which, you know, will will keep him level in a certain way, but he's That's not going to make the football any more exciting. We weren't meant to have any recommended reads this week, but I'm going to talk about Rory Smith anyway. Um, there's a really good piece. <laughs> There's a really good piece on, on the New York Times. This, this Robbie Smith guy owes us cash, you know. No, you know, he 100% is. Bro, this is like free free promotion, man. What the hell? He is really good, though, to be fair. And he's like a lovely fella as well. Yeah, he's a lovely fella. He's really good. And he really, he really deserved that role and what he does. Um, the point was, there's a great piece where he basically follows Karanka on a Monday to Thursday and basically goes, this is what a manager who gets recently promoted has to do every single week. This is how you set your team up when you know nine times out of ten you're going to lose a game of football. Um, so check that out. And from what I see there is basically Karanka is so diligent and spends so much time in preparation and, and making sure all these players are looked after. The fact that he had a special coaching regime just for Traore, the incredibly raw Barcelona former Barcelona winger, was really interesting. Uh, even more interesting that it seems that the manager that's fixed Traore was Tony Pulis. <laughs> Someone says, please discuss the Martial and Williams swap and how it ends for Maria United. We already talked about that one. But this is my kind of excuse to talk about what William did with Conte. Almost worth Almost worth traveling guy, four man. and a half hours in the car to and walking like miles and miles and miles to see your team lose just because this happened. Like almost made it worth it. The, the 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 level of guts it takes to do that when you don't know if the manager is going to be back next season I find brave <laughs> from Willian in a sense, um, and you know people are like I can't believe he has no class. Uh, I used to like Willian but now I don't. Baka Baka, wait, what, wait, what did he do? I think I might have missed this. What did he do? Willian, there there was a group photo of Chelsea uh, with the uh, celebrating their FA Cup and it's like the whole team and the managers and everything, and what he did on I guess Snapchat or maybe Instagram was he took little trophy emojis and he blocked out Antonio Conte. Basically <laughs> saying, like, it's creative, I guess, is a nice way to put it. You know? I, I rate it because I want Conte out. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice to know that that sentiment is in the Chelsea squad, at least in some way. But just people kind of going with, like, oh, Willian is classless and this and that. I'm looking at it like, okay, there, were, there was, like, a strong Brazilian contingent at Chelsea with, led by David Luiz, Diego Costa, and Willian, and I guess now you can put Emerson, Oscar was there previously. Conte has disrespected two of those. He texted Costa that he didn't want him anymore, sent him away. And he's benched David Luiz, who is Willian's best friend. Um, there's, a, there's a video on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it, 
where William's mother, who passed away from cancer, she knitted hats. And like David Louise would wear William's mom's knitted hats. It's like a really cool story of how they're like kind of brothers by, by way of football and just being Brazilian. So for I'm, I'm sure there's a level of discontent. Of course there is, because the picture makes it obvious. With William and Conte just disrespecting his friends, I'm sure. And then you add the fact that Chelsea are playing 3-5-2. There's no longer Pedro or Willian on the wings with the center forward in the middle. His, his minutes have been reduced. And, you know, he's generally an attacking player. And Conte wants to play this. We need to work. We, we need to suffer on the ball, all the, off the ball, all this kind of stuff. Like, if this gives us Martial. <sighs> no. oh, Round of applause, oh. my guy. Like, honestly, if, if United swap... You get cash. You get cash. Don't just I, bleh, cash. You like, get look, cash. Look, if if uh, they do that, then United needs to be ab- absolved. If, if they let that, <laughs> yes, that's, yes, that's not what that absolutely. word means. <laughs> and they they in fact do not. They specifically do not need to be absolved. They need to be forever damned. The opposite of absolved. They need to be dissolved, though, for sure. It is easily the most disgraceful player decision like player personnel decision that United will have ever made in my lifetime if they are prepared to accept a swap deal involving Martial like Martial should leave this summer for his own sake he should go and be free Mm. okay so are we going to talk about Europa League final is there any point like yeah congratulations to congratulations to Atletico Payet getting injured was unfortunate Griezmann Um, showed up in a final any thoughts on that uh, he's going Barca. It's looking like it. Triple uh, digits? Yeah, it's got to be. He, he must. Depending well, on de- depending on the World Cup. Hope you can't say bad things about Griezmann. The man is my cousin. Legit. What? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he is from the same small French town that my mum's from, and my mum's my mum's cousin is mates with his dad. So oh, yeah. close enough. Close enough. Close enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close enough. Yeah. In West African households, he's your cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so this one's from I am Rahil One. If Madrid does a three-peat, where do you rank them among the greatest teams of all time? So Not the next final. time we speak, Liverpool and Madrid will have played oh. Champions League final. Um, no, I think the Champions League competition has to be rethought. <laughs> let me land, let me land, let me, let me land. Last oh, I checked, boy. this is supposed to be the most elite club competition, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's what it's advertised as. If this is, quote-unquote, the most elite club competition, and one team wins it three times in a row, I'm sorry, st- stuff has to change. I would so suggest that they take a break for a, a year, and, and it doesn't happen for, for a year. Because that's why I have a funny feeling that something special is going to happen. I think... <sighs> Because I can't imagine a world where Real Madrid winning three times in a row. I can imagine a world where Cristian, Cristiano, hey, thanks, buddy, gets his um his um pause on that three times in a row. So no, it can't happen for club football's sake. Because if it happens, then club football truly is is dead and finished. The problem is, hope that means we have to have a season timeout for the Bundesliga, season timeout for Syria. City got 100 points. That's a pretty good argument for a season timeout for the Premier League. Paul, 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 this is different because Champions League. Yeah. Bundesliga, yeah, it is. No, remember, this is the best of the best. Bundesliga is not the best of the best in the whole of Europe. My one problem with your argument, though, 
is is it argues that Liverpool winning the Champions League would be a good thing. And I don't know if you know that that would be not a good thing for some of us. It would be, it's not been a good season. And uh, for it to end, like, I don't think there can have been a single United fan walking out of Wembley um, on Saturday, not thinking, oh no, now Liverpool are definitely going to win the Champions League. I don't understand how to compute Henderson and Milner against Cruz and Modric. I don't understand how that works. <laughs> and I don't, I, I, I don't really understand how Modric and Cristiano walk against a bloody fetus <laughs> at right back. I don't know. I don't understand how that works. So my only thing is that it's a final, and forget what's on paper. We're just going to just see a match in which. What we see going into this will bear not not again like Istanbul, but but again I keep saying to people, Liverpool fans say, hey look at Istanbul, AC Milan, one of the greatest sides of all time. Look at what happened. Mm. I'm gonna say that this Real Madrid side is better than that AC Milan side. Well, the question was if Real Madrid three pre, where will they go down to one of the greatest teams of all time? Oh, just gonna, oh. And you've both gone on down like a very fun avenue about. Briefly, as of right now, the fact that they're in the final, they are, they're in the discussion as one of the best club sites. Not teams, one of the best club sites. If they, they they win it, they have to be discussed as one of the very best club sites of all time. They have. It's, to. it's fascinating because it's one of those things where, and this is a strange point to make, but they'd be one of the best club sides of all time on the basis of achievement and a really specific type of achievement as well, because. The one big knock against them is that they haven't been able to... I mean, what they won one league? Was there one season when they won the league in the Champions League? So if they if they go three seasons in a row winning the, the Champions League every season, but only win one of the league titles that correspond with that, that's it's such a knock against them as a kind of all-time great for me. That's a great point because I don't think there's any team overall who have consistently won Champions Leagues and leagues. Because yes, that Barcelona side with, with Guardiola were amazing. Yeah, but they didn't do what this side have done, i.e., three Champions Leagues in a row, and was three Champions Leagues in in, in four years. That's an amazing achievement. I said this a lot after Real Madrid won beat Juventus four one about how it's amazing we spent all this time talking about what was needed to win back to back Champions Leagues, and what you actually needed was just a team with a lot of money to buy the best players. So amazing, yeah. all this talk about how football is this really complicated game, but it turns out to win the biggest competition back to back. All you need is a lot of money and just to accumulate the most amount of generational talents in your squad. But I think a re- another good parallel is Seville. Seville won, won back-to-back Europa Leagues. I and mean, Seville, Seville have made an effort of winning Europa Leagues repeatedly. And if you talk to people in that organisation, Monchi and whatnot, about how they take the Europa League very, very seriously and how they're very openly talk about if it gets to quarter-final, semi-final stage and we think we can win the Europa League, we'd stop trying in the league because we want to win this thing. And I think if you look at what Manchester United did last season, when they were like, oh, we might win Europa. Let's just pretty much tank the league and try and win Europa. And what Arsenal did this season, because of the way knockout competitions work, if you're a club of a certain size that can absorb the hit of a league place, if your knockout competition run pulls off, it doesn't really matter what's going on elsewhere. Like, yeah. if John, if Galetti does, hits that goal in for Celta Vigo and United get knocked out of the Europa League in the semi-finals last season, Marino's probably sacked. Nah, he gets. He gets. I think he gets one more season. But now Mourinho gets in back. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Mourinho gets into so much trouble, and, and like yeah. that's the that's the dime on what going all in a knockout competition goes for. The, and I think the, we've talked about this a lot about Real Madrid. Real Madrid have figured out luck in the Champions League. Real Madrid have figured out how to call heads every single time in the coin toss. Let's look at their Champions League runs. They absolutely should have been beaten by Atletico Madrid. 
in 2014. They beat them again on penalties the next time, which is ridiculous. So you want to talk about one of the greatest club sides right now? In this like recent World Cup cycle, the greatest club side, in my opinion, is Atletico Madrid. They frequently punch above their weight. They've always had one of the best defences of all time of, of this era. And they like are amazing on one-on-one games. Like, they can, they've beaten Bayern, they've beaten Barcelona, they've beaten, they, like, they've beaten everyone but Real Madrid in the Champions League final. Atletico Madrid should be the greatest club side of the last four years, but they're not because Real Madrid are, I don't want to say lucky, but lucky and good. If Real Madrid get three in a row, cool. But I'd like to put a tiny asterisk in pencil about sometimes you just get lucky. You know, one of the things that's really interesting is if you compare them and Barcelona, who are of course endlessly compared to one another this season, they both had exactly the same experience in those games against um, Juve and Roma. But somehow Madrid dragged themselves through. Like they both had the massively comfortable lead, which the Italian side like overturned. Um, but then in the end, Madrid just had something about them to win. You know, my my favourite United side by miles is the 98-99 side. There are people who would argue that from a pure football perspective, the 2008 team's better. But the 98-99 side beat them because that team can't be defeated because they have weird magic on their side. What's going to be really interesting to see is how long the kind of combination of Zidane, Ronaldo, the 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 winners, Ramos, the kind of, you know, the level of clutch in that Real Madrid side, how long does that carry them through? You know, before United played um, Spurs in the FA Cup semi-final, uh, I think my argument was one of two things is going to happen here. Either Spurs and Pochettino's pattern will continue or this will be the time it breaks. And I feel like that about Klopp in this final because this will either be a, a continuation of Klopp really looking like he's going to get there and then somehow blowing it at the last, or this will be the time when that pattern breaks. This will either be the time where Madrid, after a kind of generally meh season, really turn up to the max, or this will be the time where they actually they, they can't ride their luck anymore. So, so do we have winners? Madrid are just a much better team than Liverpool, but Liverpool have got Mo Salah and some magic behind behind their sails. So... Are we going to try to embarrass ourselves and do predictions? I'm going to do one. I, I think I think I said this to someone down the pub. I said the key player, the person who's the most important thing in this Champions League final is Marcello. And I want to know who's talking to Marcello this week. If Real Madrid needs something to get going, it's going to work by Marcello bombing forward and then unlocking the door. And if that happens, that opens up so much space behind him for Liverpool's tank three. If you're Zidane, do you tell Marcello to sit back and hope Tony Cruz and Modric and Ronaldo can do it, or Benzema can do it? Or do you tell Marcello, play like how you want to play, and you just run the risk of Liverpool swarming you? Have you seen what he did last year against Juventus, where like in the halftime team talk, that's when he told Carvajal and Marcelo to go get forward, which which is in some ways, minus Juventus having their own dressing room squabble, why the game changed. I was going Liverpool. I was I was pretty firm, like this is it. This is this is this is the season where a great player rises up and that great player is it looks like Zanimo Salah. But then just this morning, I was watching uh, the Champions League magazine show uh, and it was looking at Real Madrid. And I went, oh no, history and evil is on your side. Real Madrid will do this because history and evil is on Real Madrid's side, always. My score is 2-0. I think it's, it's, it's going to be like a real handing off. I think Liverpool are going to like bang on the wall, bang on it, bang on it, bang on it. And it's going to get 15 minutes and they maybe won't score. And then Real Madrid will be like, oh, cool. And just hand them off and get 2-0. 
something that really stuck out to me in the Champions League this season in Real Madrid was basically in the Real Madrid tie against Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich are pressing like absolute demons. Wild dogs, pack mentality, just doing everything you're supposed to do when you're pressing your position. And Tony Cruz and Luka Modric are like, nope, nope, nope. And it, it, I've never seen, like maybe classic Barcelona, haven't seen a team just dissect a well-organised press with such efficiency. I, uh, sorry to just constantly use United analogies, but the one thing that this kind of reminds me of is the 2011 Champions League final when, I don't know, I had a good feeling going into that game and a sort of sense that United might be on the verge of doing something special. Now, I think arguably, even though we won the league that season, you could argue that this Liverpool side is actually better than United in 2011, in terms, certainly in terms of the playing staff. Um, it was not a vintage United side and, it, and it, it was beating Chelsea in the quarterfinals and then a very, very poor Schalke in the semi that got United to the final. But I had a good feeling until I got to some some East London tube station, a fancy one, and I looked down over some escalators and I just saw a Barca fan with a Messi shirt and I was like, oh, no. The reality of this good feeling being like, oh, yeah, this is a good feeling, but they are much better than us. <laughs> and I think when when you look at Ronaldo, Bale, Isco, Asensio, uh, Ramos, Cruz, Modric, they're just so much better than Liverpool. But I've got to believe, I've got to believe it's possible for them to do it. And uh, and I'm I'm sorry, Carl, but I actually think that there is every reason to believe this game could end three <gasps> one. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 we're 3-1 to Liverpool? No, 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 I can't do that. I, even if I thought it was true, I couldn't say it out loud. No, 3-1 to Madrid. I would like a, a, a late goal on it to make to put a shine on, on a tight game. I have no idea. Like, I, I, I will know on, on Friday. It's way too... Like, I literally have no idea what's going to happen. Hedging his bets once again. This Bam. is... You can't Bam. just assume that Real Madrid are going get, to get, get that ass, like, 5-1 in a final. I mean, Danny T, I'm sorry, I have no idea because Real Madrid should win. I don't understand why Henderson and Nola are going to show up on the same pitch as Modric and Cruz. That's, that's a mismatch. Lovren scares me. I don't know what Lovren's going to do against Cristiano and Asensio. That scares me. And Ramos and Varane are actually forming a very formidable partnership. Cavahal. I mean, the name, but, but something tells me that. So let's just forget the names. People say, look, I'm Marcelo Cavahal. A final is a final. A final is unlike any other game. Over two legs, Real Madrid beats Liverpool every day of the week. In a final, yes, Madrid, how, I know how to win finals. I just don't know. I've got a feeling. So at the moment in time now, I have no flipping idea. That's such a, I find that idea really really interesting because you know how i always talk about sample sizes and whatnot the longer the game stretches on should be the surest indicator of the better side so if you're more likely to beat them if you're the team who's likely to beat them over 90 minutes but not like to beat them over 180 minutes that means you're the weaker side yeah such is the fun way of knockout football it's nearly completely reversed you see, I, I think football, deep 21st century statistical analysis of football is really interesting, but I am ultimately not a man of science. I am ultimately a man of faith, you know, like football is magic. There's there's no two ways about it. I've seen it too many times. You've seen the perfect narrative play out. It doesn't happen every time, but it happens too often for football to just be about the numbers. And this is like, you're absolutely right. Uh, 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 the better team should win the match. 
but magic happens in football all the time. Yeah. You can't. There is right. no statistical analysis for me, for momentum shift. All right, so speaking of magic, we're going to get this question out of the way. Uh, Luke upon my tweets, ye mighty in despair, says, if you had to sort the top 10 teams into Harry Potter houses, what would they be? This is where I admit that growing up with an African parent in the household, I think we've talked about this before, I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter because it's demonic. So <laughs> me, me neither. So. All right. I'll just represent my culture here. <laughs> <laughs> this I is... mean, I don't know if you have to do the top ten. Can I just say, got to do top six because there's only one that I'm absolutely sure about, and that is that Arsenal are Hufflepuff. That that is the house for just. Wait, other... wait, wait. Isn't that a Pokemon Hufflepuff? <laughs> <laughs> might might be a Pokemon too. So obviously Manchester United, Gryffindor, because they're the goodies. I mean, I know what? <laughs> I know that's not really true. I think those are the only two I can do. No, uh, Manchester City because of Pep and their money. It's not so much their money as the origin of their money. The fact that they're, you know, because Man City are a PR exercise. I mean, by the way, I don't actually think Manchester United are good as an institution. They are disgraceful as an institution. So don't think this is just a red tinted spectacles thing. Um, But Manchester City are now a pretty disgraceful institution, given that they are a shiny PR layer over a really really unpleasant regime and that is what they exist for so i think slytherin is probably a way too appropriate i've now strayed into that thing of that people do of making real life parables uh, with harry potter and it's parallels with harry potter and it's not okay but still good good next question <laughs> i enjoyed that thanks paul <laughs> yeah sure paul's right um three questions they're all they're all in the world cup um are Portugal good enough to beat the likes of Spain, Brazil, Germany, and France in the World Cup? If so, how? No, they're not. Portugal aren't that very good. It, it was, by all intents and purposes, a, a mediocre to good Portugal side that won the Euro 2016. And I still will maintain that France should have won 2016. But their manager, Didier Deschamps, is a moron. Is the worst major European international manager not called Roberto Martinez. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would swap Martinez for Deschamps and France in a heartbeat, by the way. Yeah, All right. I can't stand Deschamps. Cannot stand. Thoughts on Poland's chances at the World Cup? Do you rate their chances to get out of the group? If Lewandowski, because the way I'm seeing how Lewandowski is, something tells me Senegal and Colombia take that group. But again, if Poland get their act together, um, your your boy from Napoli, Milik, if he really actually ends up putting the ball in the back of the net, because again, I think somebody needs to tell me how hard football actually works, you need to put the ball in the net, then Poland can definitely do something. But I think it's all dependent on how the team supports Lewandowski and how much work Lewandowski has to do and how effective Lewandowski can be. From Niger Boy, AJ Cool 16 who do you think will be the first non-European or South American team to win the World Cup? And he says, I'd go with Mexico, Nigeria, Egypt, or Japan. I mean, depends. What, I think it depends on timescales, really. Like, like, how long is it going to be until someone other than a South American or European side wins the World Cup? And if we're saying it's going to be 50 years, then I think the pool's wide open and it could be China or it could be the USA if somehow, you know, the concussion stuff wipes NFL out and soccer takes its place. You know, so I think, I think it's going to require a cultural shift on that level or it's going to require a a lucky golden generation rather than a structured golden generation because it's a huge ask to unseat. I mean, you know, it took, what, 100, not 100 years, but it took 80 years of the World Cup before 
a team won it outside the continent they're from. Spain were the yeah. first team since 1958 to uh, win a World Cup, not in their home country for the first time, to be a debutant winner of the World Cup, not in their own country. So like home advantage plays such a massive role in the World Cup. But I think it's likely that the first team not from South America or Europe to win the World Cup will do it when the World Cup is hosted where they are. Uh, do you think a nation outside of Europe and South America will do it before the Netherlands do it? Yeah, because yeah. They, they've they've angered the football gods somehow. <laughs> Amazing. I would just think go by probability. Like there's 240, how many? 225 countries in the world, 208. I don't know why I'm blanking on this one. It, it stands the reason that probably some one of those others will do it before Netherlands. Just they've got mathematically the three. Right. They've got to three World Cup finals, though, which has got to skew the data in their favour in some some respect, surely. So why do they keep losing? So maybe... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so maybe well we one of the reasons was because of Johan Cruyff. The second reason was because, you know, Johan Cruyff got held at gunpoint in Barcelona, so it didn't yeah. go to 78. Like, we should one day, and let's really go into 1978 World Cup and how up that was a disgrace of the world cup and that should be struck from argentina's record if you want to learn more about that you can uh, watch a video i wrote for you max it back in the day um on the 1978 world cup and what an absolute disgrace it was there's there's your recommend read and the third one is because <laughs> the third one is basically because it was spain's time talking about paul's point sometimes it's just your time to win the trophy no way in hell should united have won 2008 but it was united's time because it was the what was the anniversary from Munich? We were also the best team in Europe that season, but you know. I'm I'm trying to look up the the '98 squads the Netherlands had because I feel like that one, although they didn't make a final, that one that was, was a, really good. That was that was a nice nice team. That was. I've actually got a recommended read. I brought one along. Oh, not you did? Realizing you wouldn't have one. Yeah, it's about United, obviously. Sorry, um, but it's from ESPN.com, written by Wright Thompson, who's an an excellent writer. Oh. Um, it's called Sir Alex Ferguson's Legacy Looms Over Old Trafford and it was written um, while Fergie was really poorly he seems to be getting better which is so lovely Um, but it is a beautiful piece on Ferguson, his legacy and how incredibly difficult it is to be trying to manage Manchester United whilst you're standing looking opposite at a stand that says Sir Alex Ferguson in massive letters Mm. So yeah, that that will be in the description. I found the squad. I mean, Van der Sar, Stam, the De Boer brothers, Burkamp, Clivert, Seedorf, Overmars, Damn. Davids, uh, Van Bronckhorst when he was twenty three. They had Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank in there. Some other players. That was a squad. <laughs> Let's talk about how Michelle Platini in nineteen eighty four is the great one. Like that's one of the greatest football years ever of a player. No it's like him in it is Platini eighty four. Ronaldo in 2000. And what would you yeah. say Cristiano Ronaldo's greatest year was? 2016 when they win the 2016 and the Euros. Le- Lionel Messi with his treble season and whatnot. But you look at how Fran- France was stacked throughout the 80s and couldn't get it done. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes you've got to figure out. Also, I think what's cool slash kind of depressing about a few of these sleeping giants of Europe is the fact that immigrant profiles they need to sort that stuff out first like it's all well and good having all these talented players but if you've got a whole camp full of dutch Surinamese players who don't want to talk to people who believe themselves to be true dutch players then you're not going to get a world cup if if you've got a problem in belgium with the french speakers with flemish the dutch speakers 
then you're going to have a problem there. I hope England didn't have an overt race problem, but we know for a fact there was a point in time where the Chelsea England players weren't talking to the United England players because they were going head-to-head for domestic trophies. Like, yeah, it's all well and good reading a team squad back 10 or 15 years later, but also go, were they talking to each other at the time? (laughs) But in 98, Holland were talking to each other, I believe, and certainly the France squad in the 80s. France. The reason France didn't win the World Cup in the 80s is because West Germany were amazing amazing cliched versions of themselves they were like amazing cheats and (laughs) relentlessly diligent about getting the win and they were probably on drugs allegedly (laughs) (laughs) we we know for we know for a fact they were on drugs in 72 to 76. wasn't that wasn't wasn't that east germany that we're talking about there uh we know east germany was and we know that beck well beckenbauer admitted he had to go to rehab because he was on speed for 72. wow I need to read um, uh, Yeah, I, I think, well, we know that if you, were, if you were on drugs back in the day, it was speed to keep you awake and running rather than drugs that help your first touch. Does does cocaine count as a drug in that in that way? Like, I mean, oh, yes. Yeah. So, so Maradona? Oh, yeah, Paul, um, <laughs> I, I put 510, so we got four minutes. Um, does anybody have anything to plug now that we've done recommended reads? I've um, got an announcement. Oh yeah, Carl, Carl, your special announcement. Give it to us. Hello, everyone. I will have now joined the Players Tribune for the World Cup. I will be their World Cup consultant. Uh, So we're going to bring you the voice of the game. We've got a project coming out, which I'm not sure how much I can talk to you about, but we're going to call it World Cup 32. And the idea is we're going to go out and get 32 players from every single nation that represents the World Cup and get them players all people attached to these national teams to talk about them, talk about their life stories, their history, their relationship with their parents, their highlights, their lowlights. Um, I've been working very closely on three projects and I won't reveal the names of these people. I won't reveal the nations they represent. So Switzerland, Denmark and Belgium are three projects that I've just completed as of today, really. So uh, excited to bring you more and excited to to bring you some of these great World Cup stories from these players. They are incredibly articulate people we're trying to get them incredibly articulate when they're talking about their thing we're trying to get them all done in their native language as well so if we are going to go to talk to juan mata we're going to try and make sure juan mata gives the conversation to us in spanish to make sure that when he talks and tells his story it's told in his terms um, uh, and i'm so excited Carl, to bring it to you yes if you go and talk to juan mata please make sure you tell him i love him <laughs> i will do I will do. All right, yeah, man, that's really dope, man. That's amazing, man. Congrats, man. I I, I look forward to the to, to the content. Just remember to uh, ask hard questions and you know um, punch someone in the face. Look, congrats, man. That was done. <laughs> All right, so yeah, this has been the Talking Tactics Podcast. Paul, thank you for joining us. You're super welcome. Thank what you. For and, and I appreciate your Instagram photos, man. They are very soothing, man. <laughs> thank you. Uh, listen, I I listen to I. No word of a lie, I listen to every single episode of Talking Tactics almost always the day it comes out. I love this show. Thanks, Thanks. man. Uh, so, what's your podcast again? What, where can people listen to it? Um, people can find us. Um, if you go to unitedrank.co.uk, you can find it. But also, if you just put Rankcast into um, the podcast 
app of your choosing i don't i don't like how i don't use itunes myself so i can't write you guys a five-star review but my my five-star review would be glowing but yeah our, our podcast is is uh, the united rank cast and it's an hour of united talk every week we're going to be doing world cup stuff over the we're having like two weeks off now because it's the end of the season um and then we're going to do world cup stuff over the world cup because you, you got it right we got some world cup stuff coming out too but all will be revealed in episode 100 next week um you can follow us on twitter at talking tactics you can follow me at daniel to look you can find carla anchorman 616 have hope is at have hope hunt talking tactics podcast sometimes funny sometimes serious always football and on time wow indeed see you next week peace sports social podcast network